Sunday morning, January 26th of last year in 2020, a Sikorsky S-76B helicopter plummeted to earth in Calabasas, California. Tragically, nine lives were lost that Sunday morning, most notably the former Los Angeles Laker, Kobe Bryant, and his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna. And when the news broke, like everyone else, I was asking the same question, what happened? That's the question I asked. That's the question you probably asked. That's the question the newspapers were asking. That's the question that was a buzz in social media. What happened? Well, the institution that's dis- that is, is set up to determine what happened in situations like this is called the National Transportation and Safety Board, the NTSB. They investigated and released a behemoth 1,700-page report in June. And then only this week did they release their official findings on the cause. And the board said this. They concluded that the pilot had flown into thick clouds contrary to visual flight rule recommendations, resulting in spatial disorientation and loss of control that led to the crash. That's the report. That's what happened. To summarize, bad weather combined with pilot error made for a tragic crash. And the investigation, I'm sure, will be released in its entirety later and we'll be able to read the details. Now, Hosea chapter 4 reads like a crash investigation. Not of uh, nine people, as tragic as that was, but of an entire nation. Hosea chapter 4 is reporting some of the details of the crash of the nation of Israel. Now we remember we've been talking in generalities, and we read in Hosea chapter 1 that God told Hosea, go take a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. Why? For the land. Now, that's not the, the dirt, but the people commit great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And then we overheard Hosea speaking the words of God, saying, plead with your mother, that's Israel, plead for as she is not my wife, I am not her husband, that she put her whoring away from my face and her adultery from beneath her breasts. And then we saw the Lord ask Hosea to go and purchase Gomer as a picture of what God was doing with the people. And he directed in Hosea chapter 3 verse 1, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Why? Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Now, we haven't had many details, but we have heard the scintillating detail that these people, the nation of Israel, are prostitutes. They're spiritual whores. And today we begin to see, hear the details. We begin to understand what some of the, the dirty, nasty, disgusting details look like when people wander off to serve and prostitute themselves before other gods. And I'll warn you in advance, this is kind of a difficult read, like much of Hosea. And you might be wondering, why in the world are we in 21st century United States here in 
Gilbert, Arizona, spending time hearing about another nation's sin, a nation gone now nearly three millennia. Why are we worried about them? Why do we need to hear about judgment and destruction, apostasy and spiritual whoredom? What good does that have to do for us? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Now, these things, speaking of the Old Testament, took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Because we're no different. We can desire evil just like they did. It's written down, as verse 7 says, not so that we might not be idolaters as some of them were. As verse 8 says, so that we might not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. As nine, verse 9 says, that we might not put Christ to the test as some of them did and they were destroyed by serpents. Nor should we grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, why, let's look at verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. They happened to Israel for our instruction. They, they happened to Israel as an example, and they're written down for us. And we need to heed this instruction. We need to heed the warning. Because today, this passage in Hosea chapter 4 is all about warning. It's all about warning. We need to, to be able to understand the peculiar love of God and how it's displayed in Hosea chapter 4. We need to understand the warning, the place of warning, the place of warning for the people of God. It is not loving not to warn people if they are in danger. That's profoundly unloving. And so this morning, we're going to hear a word of warning, but we're also going to see that in the Scriptures, a word of warning is never without a word of hope. And so we're going to see both side by side. First, a word of warning, then a word of hope. And so the Lord begins to detail and publish the investigation that he underwent in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm going to read the whole chapter from the English Standard Version. So if you have a Bible, follow along with me as I read God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet, let no one contend. Let no one accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day, and the prophet also shall stumble with you by night. I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The more they increase, the more they send against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And that shall be like people, like priests. 
And I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat and not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the mountains of the, the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore nor your brides when they commit adultery for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice to cult prostitutes and a people without understanding shall come to ruin." Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, no, nor go up to Beth-Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives like a stubborn heifer. Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in his broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave them alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings. And they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Thus ends God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for all of us this morning to hear your word preached and apply it. Lord, I pray for those in this room that are wandering and need to hear this warning. I pray for those in this room who are tempted to wander and need to hear this warning. I also pray for those who are not wandering and will be disturbed by this warning. Lord, these things I cannot possibly preach with every person in mind. And that's where I rely on you. And so, Lord, I ask, despite my limitations, vulnerabilities, liabilities, Lord, I pray that you would help. I pray that your spirit would be active and that we would benefit this morning from the preaching of Hosea chapter 4. In your name we pray. Amen. The investigation's out. We're going to hear a warning, but we're going to hear a warning coupled to hope. So what are the charges? We're going to have three questions this morning that we're going to look to answer. What are the charges? Who is to blame? And how is that love? What are the charges? Who is to blame? And how is that love? First, what are the charges? Now, when you hear that the nation of Israel had wandered off into spiritual prostitution and had become whores, you're going to think probably that what they've done is so bad and you can't even imagine ever doing anything like it. Maybe child sacrifice, maybe genocide, you know, maybe, maybe some kind of other horrendous event that is just like beyond what you can imagine. But I want you to see the charges that God says the nation committed. Look at verse 1. Here are the charges that that have led the people into spiritual whoredom. What are they? There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. See what he's saying? The people are unreliable. They are disloyal. And they don't care about God. Now, as charges go, you might not think that looks like a spiritual, that doesn't look like spiritual whoredom, but watch. 
Listen, when there are no, when the, when the people are faithless, they're unreliable. They'll say one thing and do another. Their word is not their bond. They lack loyalty to those around them. You can't trust what they have to say, and they're dishonest. See, one way to spot the beginning of apostasy and spiritual whoredom is through reliability. Is your word your bond? Are you reliable? Israel was not. They had no steadfast love. Not only were they unkind to other people, they were disloyal. Instead of considering other people as more important, they loved themselves and with their ways most of all. They had no time to sacrifice any time or energy for someone else. Instead of asking, how can I help other people, they constantly asked, what can they do for me? One way to spot spiritual whoredom or the beginning of apostasy is through unreliability, through unkindness. Another way is, through, is by having no knowledge of God. Now, having no knowledge of God is really the reason for the unreliability and the disloyalty. It's not that the people didn't know who God was. They knew who God was. They didn't follow God or have a relationship with this God. They knew about God. They would get up every morning and say the Shema and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, meaning there's no one else like God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. They said that every day, but they did not love their God with all their heart nor with all their soul or with all their might. What they did was they loved themselves. And so each day when they would get up and cite the Shema and go to bed and cite the Shema, God is saying, all you are doing is deluding yourself because you're faithless, you're unreliable, you're disloyal, and you have no love of God. And you know what that leads to? It leads to verse 3. Listen, when there is unreliability, when there is disloyalty, when there is no desire to follow God, we see here's what happens, and here is the road to full-blown apostasy. Verse 3, there is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. Five things that are directly the opposite of half of the Ten Commandments. It's rank wickedness. It's rank wickedness. See, the people didn't think they were whores because they knew about God. But God is saying, if you do not follow me and do not know me, if you are faithless, if you are disloyal, and if you have no love of me, you're spiritual whores. Those are the charges. Now, who's to blame? That's the second question. Who is to blame? Verse 4 tells us straight up. Let no one, yet let no one contend and let none accuse. Here's the ones to blame. For with you is my contention, O priest. For with you is my contention, O priest. Now who's to blame for Israel's whoring ways? Now that's her leaders. Her leaders. The priests were to be the one who mediated between God and the people, and the priests had not done their job. Verse 6 tells us what they did, or the problem. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. See, here's the report. 
The report says the people are faithless, they're disloyal, and they don't love me. And God says, why? Do you know why the people are faithless and disloyal and they don't love God? Do you know why? It's because her leaders have not taught them correctly. It's because her leaders have not given them the knowledge to go in that direction. The people were destroyed because her leaders had rejected not just knowledge in general, but knowledge of God. And if you're a leader in any church, this should give us pause. It gives me pause every time I climb into this pulpit. Every time I open God's Word, I I think, man, if if, if a great part of your job is like it is to me, given to the exposition, the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, it should scare you, and it scares me. I have never gotten used to standing up here. Never. Because in some way and in some measure, I am responsible for all of us. This is every kind of sobering here. That's why James tells us, let not many of you be teachers, my brothers, because you face a stricter judgment. Why? Verse 9 says, And it shall be like people, like priests. People become what their leaders are. Now, no leader is perfect. God's not asking for perfection from the priests. The priests just, they were lax. The priests, they didn't care. The priests were trying to line their own pockets. Every faithful preacher who stands up to open God's Word feels inadequate for the task of describing the majestic, resplendent, mighty Word of God. It feels like a paltry effort to give human words to this divine Word. It feels, sometimes it just feels like, I can't do this. I ran across a description this week in a book called Martin Eden, written by Jack London. Martin is an aspiring writer. Writers and preachers have a lot in common. Martin's an aspiring writer, and he says this. Dogs asleep in the sun often whine and bark, but they're unable to tell us what made them whine and bark. He, being Martin, had often wondered what it was, and he realized that he w- that was all he was, a dog asleep in the sun. See, that's what it feels like so many times. If you preach any length of time, you feel like you're doing little more than whining and barking. And you can't really give voice to the majesty that is God's Word. But, even a bark or a whine in a voice of warning can be heeded. And the, the Israel's priests did not even yelp in warning. As the nation sped off into spiritual whoredom, the priests were silent. There was no barking of protest saying, your idols will demand more than you can give. 
As the people ignorantly rejected the word of God, the priests were silent. There were no priests barking and warning that the people were running headlong into destruction. The people forgot the teaching of God, and the priests did not bark in warning. Her leaders shrank from at least saying some of the hard things. They did not afflict the comfortable or comfort the afflicted. The people were swept up in the flow of popular opinion, and the people wandered away from the Lord, and her priests didn't even bark in dissent. The people were offered, offering sacrifices on mountaintops and down in the valley. Her priests were greedily counting their money, not even barking or yelping in warning. The, the people worshipped in the shade of the trees because it was cool, pretty, and convenient. And instead of teaching the people that following God is not often cool, pretty, and it's never convenient, they were silent. And so the Lord pronounces judgment. Verse 9, And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their, their deeds. See, one of the reasons we preach through books of the Bible is because we need to hear what the Bible has to say. The Bible rarely goes with the flow of popular opinion. It's rarely concerned with the obsessions of our age and our culture. The Bible is rarely hip, but it's always timely. <clears throat> the Bible is rarely trending on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, but it always needs to be heard. It's easy to preach to cultural obsessions to draw a crowd if you talk about money or sex or relationships or fulfillment or happiness or success. You can have a TED Talk vibe and be hit hip and get people to come, and they can feel better about themselves when they leave. But the Bible is not chiefly concerned with making us feel better about ourselves. The Bible is chiefly concerned with helping us see who we really are and helping us see that we really need a Savior, that we really get to know Jesus Christ. The Bible is concerned with helping us recognize the bankruptcy that exists apart from Jesus. The message of the Bible is not look within and see your potential. It's look within and see that you are dead in your transgressions and sins with no hope if you don't turn to Christ. And so what we need to do at times is be warned. God's love sometimes is displayed through warning. And this is a message church leaders need to preach. And I'll tell you this, the church leaders need to hear. When I preach, I'm preaching first to myself. Y'all just are here. Now, if you're young, a young man or an old man or any kind of man, you're interested in pastoral ministry so that you can be respected by people or revered or valued or esteemed, or esteemed go do something else. Sometimes, many times, oftentimes, your voice is to be used in warning. And we all need to heed the warning because we're tempted to wander away. Maybe some of us are wandering. And you know how God punishes the people in Israel? As they're tempted to wander away? You know what he does? 
He gives them what they want. Look at verse 10. They shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord. What's their punishment? To get what they want. They were obsessed with food and sex, and God gave it to them. They loved and worshipped food and sex and the appetites of the body, and God said, here, go ahead. And it was unsatisfying. See, we can be obsessed about the wrong thing, too. The warning we need to hear today, all of us in this room, is that we can be obsessed with the wrong thing instead of following our God. We can be obsessed with peace in our home or sleep or that girl or a, getting a husband or getting your husband to change or $10,000 more or 15 pounds less off our frame or popular friends or promotion or a fresh start, or recognition, or respect. And you begin to want these kinds of things more than you want to follow God. And instead of taking them away, because if your heart's drawn, they're what God does. If you want that, go for it. And see how they respond. See how you, how you feel. See what it's like to have sleep as your God. See what it's like to have peace in your home as your God or that girl as your God, or your, a husband, or a, your husband to change as your God, or $10,000 more, or 15 pounds less, or popular friends, or a promotion, or a fresh start, or recognition, or respect. As you go off and serve these things, God says, have fun. But the problem is, it doesn't satisfy. And so those who have a hard heart can't heed the warnings. Those who don't, might. See, those with a hard heart say, well, if, you know, God gave me this, I'm going to sleep more and maybe I'll be happy. My husband needs to change more, maybe I'll be happy. I need to have peace in my home and, and I'll pursue that, maybe I'll be happy. Maybe if it's not $10,000 more, maybe twenty or forty or a hundred. If it's not fifteen, maybe it's thirty or forty pounds. And the problem is they don't heed the warning and God allows them to continue to go down that path and experience fruitlessness and discouragement and disillusionment and people who have hard hearts don't listen or heed the warning. And as people talk to you, you say things like, well, you just don't understand or it's harder than you know or it just feels right or I've prayed about it. And we can all put the veneer of religiosity around the things that we love and say that the Lord led me, or I feel peace doing this, or I've been praying about such and such, or I don't think it's wrong. And so, and all the while have a heart hardened and hardened and hardened and calcified so that we can't even heed the warnings. See, that's what happens when God gives us what we want. What we need as Christians today here at Center Church is to heed the warning. See, the display of God's peculiar love for us here in Hosea chapter 4 is to heed the warning. Do not worship other gods. Do not be obsessed with anything that is not God Most High and His Son. 
So we've seen the charges. We know who's to blame. Now we need to ask, how is this love? How indeed? It doesn't feel very loving. Let me ask you this. If you were driving on a road and around the next corner or around the next turn, the bridge was washed out or there was a rock that had blocked the way or it was icy or there was some kind of treacherous accident ahead, would it be loving just to let cars go by and just say, well, I don't want to intrude on their day. They look happy. Of course not be foolish. Same things being played out here. Same things happening here. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is say, watch out. Be careful. Slow down. You're loving the wrong thing. Watch out because you might get exactly what you want. And the tragedy was that Israel got exactly what they wanted. Now, we said at the beginning that there is a warning in this passage, but we also said that there is never a passage in Scripture where we have a warning without also a word of hope. Now, the word of hope admittedly is shrouded in today's passage. It's very difficult to find, and if you read it through, you might think, where is that? The word of hope is... is <laughs> look at verse 9. And it shall be like people like Now, in verse 9, in Hosea chapter 4, verse 9, when Hosea first uttered these words, this was not a word of hope. This was not anything anyone would say, oh, that's great. No, he had just got finished saying the priest led them astray. He had just got finished saying the priests were the one who were the problem. But as we look back at Hosea through a different leader, through a different kind of priest, we can think differently about this passage. We can read verse 9 and, re- and think, it shall be like people like priests. We can say, yes, may it be. Because your priest is not me. Your priest is no man. Your priest is the man, Christ Jesus, who made satisfaction for your sin. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews says, Jesus is our high priest. He is a better high priest than these people. Not only can we have hope as we look at this phrase, like people, like priests, we can recognize that our high priest, Jesus Christ, became like us in every way so that he might, so it might be said of him also that it was like people, like priests. He became like us in every way so that he might both be the mode of sacrifice and the sacrifice himself for our sins and for our many sins. And this is why it can be said that he is a great high priest, not just that he bore our every sin on the cross, not just that God spent his wrath upon Jesus so that it might not be spent on us, but also because he rose from the dead. This is a leader we can entrust ourselves to entirely. Let me tell you, you cannot entrust yourself to any human leader entirely. You cannot entrust yourself to me. You cannot entrust yourself to the next man who occupies this pulpit. You cannot. But we can all safely entrust ourselves to Jesus. And we can all safely entrust ourselves to him. And as we read in verse 9, like people, like priests, we say, yes, that's what I want to be. I want to be like 
Jesus. And that is the whole point. When we see Jesus, we find in the New Testament, we're going to be like him. And finally, we're going to say, yes, this is who I'm supposed to be. And not supposed to be chasing all of these other things, obsessed with all of these other things, but focused on Jesus. See, the warning for all of us is that even as faithful Christians, we can wander away from Jesus. I ask you, even as a leader, it's, <laughs> preaching this passage is tough, but even as a leader, I say, I say, don't follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. You see the difference? I hope. Men fail. Men fall. Men disappoint. Men make mistakes. Men die. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Now, are we going to be magically turned into people who are utterly and completely reliable 100% of the time, utterly and completely loyal 100% of the time, have the relationship with God, one, the perfect relationship with God 100% of the time, like we should? No. But we know who to talk to. We know who to go to. We can go to Jesus and say, though I am faithless at times, though I am disloyal at times, though I don't love you or follow you the way I ought to at times, I want to. Help me. Forgive me. And it gives hope for leaders like me who recognize standing up and preaching God's word that no man is up to the task. But my hope is not that you do what I say or do what I do. But my hope is that I can point you in some small measure to Jesus. Because let it be said of us, like Jesus, like them. The peculiar love of God today is displayed in a warning. Some of us need to heed this warning. Some of you are in the process of wandering away, and maybe you don't recognize it. Maybe you need your friends to tell you, hey, pay attention here. All of us will be tempted at some point to wander away. Life cracks us over the head. Something happens we don't expect, and we're tempted tempted to pursue security or happiness or success or getting everybody in our life to understand and we wander away. See, it's not if you'll be tempted. It's when you are. What do you do? We remember this warning. We remember this warning. And the warning is don't wander away, but look to Jesus. See, every time we receive a warning in Scripture, we also have a word of hope. No human leader can lead you the way you need to be, leaded. Only Jesus, only, be led. Only Jesus can. 
only Jesus. And Jesus will lead you down the road He wants you to go on. He will. I promise. He may not give you everything you think you want, but He'll give you what you need. And so may we heed this warning. And may the report, may the report of the investigation of our life be she followed Jesus, not she got what she wanted. Or he followed Jesus, not he got what he wanted. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us all, Lord. We're all tempted to wander. I pray that you would help me and whoever occupies this pulpit for these days, weeks, months, years, decades into the future. I pray that you would help the ministry of the Word here to be faithful. I pray also for all of us, Lord, that we'd heed the warning that sometimes our loves can be misplaced, misdirected, misapplied. Sometimes we can be obsessed with the wrong things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to enjoy the gifts you give, but not be obsessed and worship them. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be able to turn our eyes to you and heed this warning. I pray for those that are wandering now, Lord, that you would call them back. I pray that if there are people who have convinced themselves in their mind, despite the counsel they've received from godly friends, that they're on the right path, but yet you know they're not, please stop them. Lord, I pray that you would help those that are not wandering, but know one day we will be tempted to wander. Please guard us. Let us not outlive our love for you. And Lord, I pray that as a church, we would be known as a people, both individually and corporately, where it could be said, like Jesus, like Center Church. In your name we pray. Amen.